This morning's scripture reading comes from select passages of Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame, the men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. Verse 15. Now, our Lord, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. This is God's word. Good morning. As we uh, close out on our sermon series on the book of Daniel, I just want to quickly recap uh, that the book of Daniel centers around the life of Daniel uh, during a time when uh, God's people uh, were separated from their homeland, the, the Bab- Babylonian captivity. Uh, Daniel, uh, being a member of the cultural elite of Israel, now uh, lives amongst a, a people uh, who were against uh, the biblical God, Yahweh. And as a result, uh, in, in hostility, in captivity, how does the Christian respond? So as a result, what the book of Daniel helps us answer the question of what does it mean uh, to live a life of faith in the biblical God in a world that's dominated by people who are hostile towards him? Join me in prayer as we dive into the word this morning. Lord God, we come before you, we, we thank you, we honor you, we cherish you, we love you. We're so thankful, Lord God, that you allow us to be here this morning to dive into your word, uh, to dive into your spirit, 
to be amongst your people, Lord God, to know you more. And God, Lord, as we dive into this passage, Lord God, we pray, Lord, that you will speak. Um, Lord God, that you will use me accordingly to your strength. Lord God, that I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hand. So Lord, according, use me accordingly to your power. Uh, God, Lord God, may you uh, speak through us, Lord God. Speak through this word, Lord God. Um, and may you hear our cries. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Something I've been uh, learning in the past few years uh, about myself is my over-tendency to apologize. Let me explain. You know, growing up, uh, I always thought that saying sorry was the only thing that was needed. As a child, if I, you know, spilled juice on the carpet, I immediately confessed and said, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. As a teenager, if I got into an accident with my mom's car, I would confess and say sorry. If I got a bad grade on a report card, mom, dad, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. I'll do better. I promise. See, I, I realized at an early age that if I apologized and if I showed a little bit of remorse, it would alleviate the situation. But in the past few years, I came to the realization that confession is not enough. When you apologize but don't address the issues, conflict arises. When you don't confront the circumstance, there becomes distrust. You wait long enough, there becomes hopelessness. See, confession is not the solution to fixing anything. Confession is just a mere ingredient to the word known as repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is that word that non-believers often scoff at. And although this word repentance may be in a believer's vocabulary, we often find ourselves scrambling when asked to define. So what is repentance? In the biblical Hebrew, shuv is often translated as repentance. But more accurately, it's to turn. Repentance is not just a turning away from sin, but repentance is primarily turning to God. See, as I prepared for this message, church, it was extremely, extremely difficult because I realized that my lack of repentance led to brokenness. You know, church, as I'm diving into this passage and as I confess to you guys this morning, that one of the main reasons my marriage dissolved into a divorce was due to a lack of repentance. I don't blame it on the circumstance. In some ways, I can only blame myself. But it was my lack of repentance and forgiveness that really led to the brokenness. 
Now, I think there was confession, but not sure if there was a gospel repentance. Daniel 9 is actually a prayer of repentance. And this passage is going to learn, uh, help us learn more about repentance in three points. Three points for today's sermon. The prerequisite of repentance. The power in repentance. And the prayer of repentance. The prerequisite, the power, and the prayer. The first point, the prerequisite. The prerequisite of repentance is brokenness. Specifically, brokenness over sin. See, you got to remember, uh, uh, repentance is a, a turning. Uh, is a, repentance is a turning. Uh, you only turn away from something when you realize you're going in the wrong direction with no idea where it's next. Now, I don't know what it is, but, you know, us men, right, we hate using the GPS navigation system. Even though it's right in front of us and even though it's for us, uh, there's something, I guess, innately uh, about uh, men. We just don't like using it, uh, especially uh, with, when it's within the presence of a female, right? I, I don't know what it, what it is, but it's just kind of us wanting to figure it out. So, you know, we make excuses. We say, you know, uh, baby, baby, boo, I just want to, uh, I want this to be a reflection of me uh, directing our relationship to God. Like, no, just get me to my mom's house. We can be so lost, but something about us will do anything and everything to figure it out, to get from point A to point B. The only, turn, the only time we actually use the navigation system to get directions is when you realize how lost you actually are. See, if repentance is a turn, there has to be a desperate urgency to turn. To put this into the light of Scripture, you can't be just sorry about your sin. You have to be completely shattered by our sin. For Daniel, what's breaking him? What is making Daniel pray a genuine prayer of repentance? Look at verse 2 and 3 with me. I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem will last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer. So Daniel has been reading the words of the prophet Jeremiah, specifically Jeremiah 29 verse 10 that says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. So in this prophecy, Jeremiah announced that the Lord's plan was to subject his people to Babylon for 70 years because of their sin. But at the end of that time, God would judge the Babylonians and bring his people home. So Daniel, reading the words of Jeremiah, begins to pray. He begins to pray for the fulfillment of God's gracious uh, restoration plan for God's people to come back home. So what do we see in verse 2 and 3? Daniel, reflecting on the word of God, is broken for his people. 
Daniel sees the outcome of their distrust. Verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. Daniel realizes there is much brokenness because of their sin. So he increases his intensity in prayer by pleading. What do we see in verse 3 specifically? That it was in fasting, in sackcloth, and ashes. Sackcloth and ashes uh, were used in the Old Testament times as a symbol of intense mourning and repentance. Uh, sackcloth was this uh, coarse material, and it was usually made of black goat's hair. So it was very, very, very uncomfortable to wear. It wasn't easy. It wasn't, it wasn't a suit by all means. It was uncomfortable. It was dark, and it was just really hard to actually wear. And what this would do is it would show one's repentant heart. One would wear sackcloth, sit in ashes, and put ashes on the top of his head to show mourning and repentance. Very simply to say, uh, sackcloth and ashes were used as an outward sign of one's inward condition. You know, if you've ever been to a funeral, you know, what are we, are, what are we accustomed to seeing? It's a very dark and somber day. And the first thing you visually see is everyone in black. You visibly show your brokenness and your mourning. So let it be sackcloth, ashes, a suit or dress in black. It represents brokenness, emptiness, and sorrow. And for Daniel, he's seeking repentance because of the brokenness of his people resulting from their distrust in God that led them to 70 years of wandering. Church, question today. How is, sin, how is sin sending you in the wrong direction? Is your brokenness giving you a desire to put on sackcloth and ashes. Because being honest about our nothingness, being truthful about our brokenness, being wrecked by the sin that is in us, these are the prerequisites that lead us to know God's kindness. It leads us to the second point, the promise. See, if the prerequisite to repentance is turning away from sin, then we must understand uh, that the promise of repentance is knowing we could turn to God himself, that God is a God of promises. If you read verse 4 with me, Daniel proclaims it. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. What is God promising? God is promising this, that he has a covenant with his people. It would be established. And specifically in this passage, he tells us how it's revealed. And it's through the covering of 
our shame. I think that's why in verse 7 and 8, Daniel says, Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. We and our kings, our princesses, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. Daniel is declaring that the sin is producing shame. And it is not producing just shame for me, but it is producing shame for the people I'm seeking to actually cover me. Because what we know about sin is this. Sin produces shame. This is why in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, what, the, what does Adam and Eve immediately do after they eat the forbidden fruit? They immediately cover their nakedness. See, in life, uh, no matter what the circumstance, shame has to be covered. It's the wiring of the human heart. See, for the Israelites, they're wandering, leaving them openly in shame and need covering. And Daniel is pleading, he's praying for that covering of shame for his people. See, for us today in this room, the promise and repentance is the reminder that God personally knows what it means to be in shame. See, in Matthew 27, verse 28 and 29, it says that they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt in front of him and mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews. See, Jesus, too, experienced shame. And it wasn't because of his sin, for Jesus was blameless and spotless. But he too experienced shame because uh, he wanted to save us. He wanted to redeem us. He wanted to be on our behalf. Remember when you were a child growing up and you did something wrong. Um, I remember for me, uh, uh, you know, it, it was always difficult, and uh, I remember whenever I did something wrong, I was of integrity and responsibility, so the first thing I would do was run and hide. Um, and I remember, you know, whenever I got in trouble, whenever I got a bad grade or whenever I broke something, uh, the first thing I would do is run and hide, right? And it's funny, I would always hide to, like, the dumbest places. Do you guys remember that? Like, uh, you, would, you would hide under, like, a blanket, or, like, you know, you would hide in the closet or in the basement, like, they're not going to find you. But for whatever reason, in the moment, you had to hide. Well, why did I have to hide? It's because I didn't want to be revealed. Why did I hide? It's because I was ashamed, and I didn't want to get caught. And because of this very mistake, I would penalize myself by hiding in the darkness that I was deathly afraid of. I would physically place myself in my own confinement, drenched in sweat, so I wouldn't be seen. It was this very mistake that made me feel like an unworthy son. I felt ashamed. 
And it would only be when my parents reminded me that it's okay. By getting me out of this moment of shame, uh, by covering me not in blankets or darkness, but with grace and light. In my darkness, it would take my parents' hands for them to pick me up and to remind me that in the moment of shame and darkness, I am still their son. See, in the same way, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he gave us freedom to not run into dark corners or to hide in our sackcloth. In other words, uh, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. See, as Jesus Christ bore our shame and guilt, he nailed it to the cross with him. So when he dies, our shame gets destroyed as well. Meaning, church, in him, you are no longer covered by your shame. You are now only covered by the blood of Christ, which declares us free, which declares us righteous, and declares us as sons and daughters of God. Repentance is this. The sin, the shame, and the brokenness that makes me walk the wrong way is the prerequisite to U-turn towards the promise of God in Christ as I walk on the road of humiliation and shame to exaltation and glory. How does this text help us today? The third point, the prayer. Very practically, as we close out this sermon and really the, the, the sermon series, uh, Daniel 9 uh, teaches us how to pray the prayer of repentance. I know that's something that I often struggle with. How do I pray this prayer? Well, Daniel is clear. He, he kind of gives us a model to pray a prayer of repentance. And there are three things that we see. First thing we see, uh, number one, is the meditation on the word. Uh, going back to verse 2 and 3, what do we see? Daniel is meditating uh, from the words of the prophet Jeremiah. He's knowing more about him. He's meditating on that very scripture, and it's allowing him to pray this prayer. See, if prayer is a conversation, conversation excuse me, between you and God, then we must be listening to him through the words he has given us. Right? This is contrary to uh, social media today, right, where relationships are built with just a couple of likes. But uh, Daniel is teaching us that prayer uh, is the opposite. It begins with deep meditation on Scripture. So I think what Daniel is teaching us, church, in the same way, start your prayer uh, with a me- passage to meditate on. Let God's voice uh, be your sole conviction to repent because sin is primarily you against God. Second thing that Daniel teaches us in terms of our prayer, confession and confidence. Confession and confidence. Look at verse 15. 
Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. See, what we see here is Daniel is seeking the Lord in faith by approaching him with a disposition of repentance. See, when you're praying to God, you have to do it in confession and confidence. You have to pray in both humility about who you actually are and to come in confidence regarding who he actually is. Because if you pray without confidence, then you have no hope in the gospel. If you pray without confession, then you aren't truly seeking him in humility confession, and confidence. Finally, Daniel teaches us uh, the prayer of intercession. Daniel 9, within its context, it's important to understand that it is a prayer of repentance, but the whole prayer is regarding Jerusalem. The whole prayer is regarding his people. He's interceding. Verse 16 says, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. See, meaning in our prayer life, we're called to intercede. When we're praying to the Lord, you seek him and you deal with the struggles of your heart, but let the struggles of your heart uh, show empathy to the struggles of his people. It's about intercession, meaning in our prayer life, we are called to be intercessors for our church and our city. Church, pray for your city. Pray for Philadelphia. Pray for the heart of Philadelphia to be restored by God's own heart. I know some of you guys are probably saying, well, uh, Brian, um, I'm actually from the suburbs. Well, I'll respond, I'm currently residing in Montgomeryville, Northwest PA, uh, where my hardest struggle is getting a chai tea latte at 10 p.m., right? Y'all feel me? Uh, Philadelphia needs more. Philadelphia needs your prayers. They don't need any more coffee shops. They don't need a Starbucks uh, in, in Philadelphia, La Colombe, or uh, a random corner coffee shop with no Wi-Fi. Uh, Philadelphia needs the gospel. Pray for your church. Pray for the city. Pray for the cities that are surrounding us. Pray for Cherry Hill. Pray for Manny Young. Pray for these areas. Pray for Germantown. Uh, pray for West Philadelphia, North Philadelphia, Northeast Philadelphia. Pray for Alney. Pray for East Falls. And pray for the churches that are ministering and serving these local areas. So we pray for Liberty Church. We pray for Tenth Prez. We pray for Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia and Camden. Pray for Bridge Community. Pray for Renewal Presbyterian. Pray for Restoration Church. Pray for City Light. Pray for Metro Presbyterian. And church, as we pray prayers of repentance, remember 
that as we come in sackcloth and ash, we actually come in celebration by what we see in the words of David in Psalm 30. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. I'll conclude with this. Daniel is waiting for this desolation to end, meaning that it's almost 70 years of separation from his homeland. But I don't think Daniel just started to pray. Nah, that can't be the case. Because as God's ordained prophet, he was praying for quite some time. And I think it's fitting to even what the theologian Martin Luther says, that all of life is repentance. May repentance not just be a fleeting moment, but may a gospel-like repentance be at the core of our lives until Christ comes down to redeem us as God will save his people from captivity. Pray with me.